This week, I talked to David Averin of the Customer Experience Advantage. So buckle up, because you don't want to miss this. Welcome back to Ratchet and Rich Radio, your podcast for strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm Chris Jones, host and editor at Ratchet and Wrench. And so today I'm bringing you David Averin. Uh, if you guys remember Vision in Kansas City this year, David was one of the keynote speakers and he talked about the concept of being remarkably easy to do business with. And so I brought David on because I wanted to unpack a lot of that stuff he talked about in Vision that we really couldn't get into from the stage. So David's going to talk about the whole concept of how to be easy to do business with, how to get into the digital age, and really how to make your shop really stand out to customers. You don't want to miss this one. So here's David. Hey, David, welcome to Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Thank you so much. Great to be here today. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love it if you could unpack your bio for us and tell our audience who you are, what you do, and how you do it. Sure. Uh, You know what? I'm really fortunate that I travel the country and I travel the world talking about uh, helping organizations become remarkably easy to do business with. Uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. We've spent a lot of years talking about about marketing. How do we how do we differentiate ourselves in a competitive marketplace? And and the world has changed. And I'm really fortunate that I get to travel when there's not a pandemic, of course, uh, and help businesses, industries, uh, as I said, uh, compete better by becoming remarkably easy to do business with. I spent a lot of years in marketing. I owned a marketing firm in Denver, and. I've come to recognize in recent years how much the world has changed. You know, we used to talk about our quality and commitment and caring and trust in people, and most organizations still do, but the world has changed. And the research shows really clearly today that customers are prioritizing speed and flexibility and convenience. And I write books and I speak about uh, about ways to differentiate ourselves and, and customer experiences is is really the the primary driver today. Right. And talk about that a little bit. What does it mean to be remarkably easy to do business with? You know, most organizations, most businesses, small, uh, big, it doesn't really matter. We've got a way of doing things. And and, and it's a way that works because we, uh, we've got bills to pay every month, right? We, we want to get as much revenue in the door as we can. And, and we've created a business model. Most business models were created 20, 30, 40 years ago. Here's how people uh, search if there's a, a challenge or a problem with, with, their, um, with their vehicle, with their, with their home, with whatever B2B kind of a challenge. Here's where they go to research online. Here's how they reach out to us and, and communicate and buy and customize and pay and deliver. And that whole process works, right? Well, it works for us. And where it doesn't work, we modify it and we've created our customer journey, right? Here's the problem. The problem is your customers haven't read your employee manual. They don't know how they're supposed to do it. And so when I talk about being remarkably easy to do business with, there's very few businesses who really take time to walk their customer's journey at every point of contact and look for points of friction, as we call them, points of delay, points of frustration. And we've got a process that works and we get frustrated when people try and go around it, but they try and go around parts that don't work. You know, you can have a, a great restaurant and and if you walk in and the bathrooms are disgusting, that's a driver, right? If you go in there and you're, there's a 40-minute wait and half the tables are empty, you wonder why. And so when we talk about being remarkably easy to do business with, it's helping people get what they want faster. There's a lot of talk in this world. Everybody thinks it's customer service. I think we get it. I mean, I think, my God, Chris, we've been talking about it for 40 years. I think people know how to treat people and there's some companies that are better at it than others, but the customer experience is different. It's not how nice somebody is. It's judged by us, right? The experiences are, is it frustrating? Is your process, uh, does, does it, for us, does it, does it get us uh, frustrated? Does it, is it delayed? And so when we talk about being easy to do business with, it's us taking a step back and asking at every point of contact, could that be done better or faster or smarter or, like I said, with less friction? And the companies who are taking the time to sort of dissect their customer's journey 
and finding ways to circumvent a process, to cut a time in half, to cut unnecessary steps out. Those are the ones that are really finding great advantages moving forward. Yeah, no, you said you said a lot of amazing things there. It's funny, like you know, I throughout the course of my life, you know, I'm 45. Throughout the course of my life, I've I've seen like you know things go. I've seen it go from yellow pages, uh, predominantly to you know radio, television ads to sure. you know things on the internet. We were getting stuff on the internet, and then now it's like it's on my phone. Like access is it's there, it's everywhere, and like and the more I get, you know, the more spoiled I become. <laughs> you know, think, think about about COVID, about what it did to accelerate what has long been predicted about how we're going to do business. Um, in, in some industries, it accelerated it within within days, and it had to, like healthcare, for example. I just spoke at a big healthcare internet conference, and within days after COVID started, they were doing virtual uh, visits. Right, and I've been doing that for ten years. Because I travel, right? So I have an app that helps me. Well, most people had never done that before. Think about the things that we have delivered now. Uh, I saw a very funny meme um, that went across Facebook today. And it said, um, in case you were wondering, you don't need to buy anything from Amazon today. Right? <laughs> um, I heard there's this new affliction. They're calling it primnesia. And it's when you order something from Amazon, but you can't remember what you ordered. How different is this world? But here's the, here's the thing that's interesting. People are lamenting the loss of you know, certain retailers and Toys R Us and others. But every new disruption, every new innovation benefits us as consumers. It's challenging for people in business. But every new convenience, every category that gets disrupted and people going out of business, it's only because, it's only because we found a better way of doing it. And the, com- the companies, the businesses that are complacent, who are like, this is the way it works, this is the way it's supposed to be done, are really at risk. Because, you know, when I was just recently at, at, at Vision, and we were, I mean, there was a, a great group of people, we were all talking, learning and growing our business and sharing information. Well, how many organizations were meeting at the exact same time in different parts of the world, trying to figure out how to do what we do differently, or better or smarter, or faster? And the, the categories and the industries and the businesses that are going to survive and thrive are the ones who are always asking that same question of themselves. How do we do this different and better and smarter and faster? And you had mentioned sort of all these new conveniences and new ways of doing things. It's across the board. It's almost every industry. Um, you can call it the new normal or the new next or the, the touchless tomorrow. But what we're learning is, is different ways to do it that help us get what we want more conveniently, quicker. Nobody's questioning, even within the industry, the technical expertise of technicians. We're always, you know, improving our, 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 our skill sets, more knowledge, but customers assume competency. We assume that people are good at what they do. The only, the real question is who can get it to me faster, who can be more flexible with my schedule. And that's the big shift. That's when I talk customer experience, that's the shift that we're seeing is that how we experience doing business, it's not about wow experiences. There's so many people saying, we have to create a wow experience. Most businesses do not lend themselves to a wow experience. If you're buying an electronic component that needs to go into an engine, there's nothing wow about that, right? You know, what what sucks is when it doesn't work. The wow is who can get me in quicker, who can do it with more transparency. Uh, I just got my, I've got a really cool tricked out Jeep, Rubicon and I go off-roading and everything. And I brought it in for some servicing. And the the company that was doing all the, the mechanical work on my Jeep, they were sending me daily emails. They were sending me pictures and videos of everything that they found. I didn't have to come in while somebody tried to show it to me. I was kept in the loop at every stage. Um, I was able to choose what I wanted, yes or no, based on their recommendation. But I never left my desk. It was phenomenal. That was a great experience. It wasn't about being wow. It was incredibly convenient. It was incredibly informative. And I felt empowered to make the right decisions. And I'll go back to these guys every day. 
well, hopefully not every day because that's pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I hear you there. Um, just that that level of convenience. Um, you because you, you talked about points of friction. And I think you know when I'm dealing with convenience, that, that that's a point of friction for me. Not being able to have quick access. You know, I'm always on my phone. I'm always on the internet. And then when I get to some sort of barrier for entry, I get discouraged and go find look for the next service provider. Well, and and those bar- and you're right. I mean, the barriers, Chris, are are everywhere, and they're kind of inadvertent. Um, it's when we go to a website and there's no phone number. I mean, there's no freaking phone number. I mean, who who is in business and makes a conscious decision that we're not going to give our phone number to our customers? I mean, that's such arrogance. I mean, are you really that good that you can say our, our customers aren't going to go anywhere? Well, there probably are because, right? Because there's other options. And so that that convenience comes in the form of, can I talk to a real person? Can I can I make an appointment in the middle of the night? I, I don't expect and get my hair cut at four in the morning, but I do expect that I can make an appointment to do it. Right? Yeah, no, um, right, right on. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. And that's just the thing. Like, you know, for, for a shop, I mean, how, how, what can shop owners do from a digital standpoint, you know, before we even get to the, the, the interfacing with people, from a digital standpoint to, to lower that barrier of entry so things are easy for people, like you said, so they're remarkably easy to do business with, they're remarkably convenient, and people don't have to wrestle to get what they want. Right. Well, I think the answer with the shops is, first of all, there are some realities to the industry, right? We only have so many technicians, and we only have so many bays, and and I get all of that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that everybody gets what they want, but it means that everybody, that, that they feel like they're, uh, they're being served. And it's not just about being polite. And, and I get all of that. Uh, one of my favorite lines is, even when the answer is no, people like, you know, take no out of your vocabulary. Well, that's ridiculous. No sets boundaries. No, no, no is a good thing to have. But, but there's, a better, there's a better answer. And the better answer is, um, when there's something you can't do or something's unreasonable or you can't get something in right away, is here's the magic phrase. The magic phrase is, let me tell you what I can do, right? And everything that follows that, Chris, is is something that is geared towards them, towards being accommodating. Let me tell you what I can do. We're, we're booked through the end of the day, but if you can bring it in sometime before the end of the day, we'll get you in first thing tomorrow. Um, we make sure we'll get, we'll get back to you within an hour with, uh, with an update of, right? It's the things that you don't make somebody call and ask, like, what's the status? I ordered this, this big hearth for my, for my fireplace and I've had to call multiple times. You know, what's, what's really convenient is when they call me or when I can go, you talked about from a digital perspective, when I can go to the website and I can get a status, my son's going through acceptance of college right now. I can go on, I can log into his, his portal at the university and I see exactly what documents they're missing, exactly what the status is, when we're going to hear back, status of financial aid and everything else. The reality is we're being trained by all these other industries uh, in terms of what we're, we should expect for ease of use and ease of access and transparency in terms of content. It, this isn't monumental stuff. It's what we're all used to. We're all, we're all consumers, right? Even if you're a shop owner. And we've become used to being able to know where the package is, right? When is DoorDash going to arrive? We have to adopt some of those. And the good news is we're not starting from scratch, even as an industry for shop owners and and managers and others as well. There's enough off the shelf. There's enough things going on within the industry. Uh, There will come a time and it's coming very, very quickly where it's not even going to be an option anymore. It's just going to be expected because everybody else is doing it. And then we're going to be looking for what's next. What's the next new convenience? And all of this is assuming competency. All of this is assuming that your technicians, that you're all really good at what you do. That's not the differentiator. We think it is. We love to boast about our quality and our commitment and our people. I said that before. And the reality is our, our customers assume that everybody knows how to, how to do the mechanics of it. The question is, who is who's easy to work with? Um, who is... Uh, who's proactive in terms of their, of their communication and easy on the app. And I mean, even when I go to a restaurant, I get a, a text message with my tables ready. Uh, those are some of the, the bare minimums that we need to adopt at shops. Yeah, no, I, I firmly agree. Like, I mean, we, when you were talking about your son's enrollment, I was thinking about all the times that I've like ordered from Domino's or wherever. And like, they'll tell me when the pizza's in the oven, when it's yeah. in the car, when it's, it's on the everything. way to my house. I, and, I get and my so, groceries delivered. It's awesome. 
It's freaking yeah, it, awesome. it is. It is just that, the, <laughs> that level of convenience. But something, you know, it's just it's that communication, that 101, like you said, just the small thing, doing the small things well. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to, you know, go out of your way. It's just, hey, let me just give this guy a call and let him know where his car is. Let me shoot him a text and let him know where his car is. It's just those little teeny things, that just small shifts. They go a long yeah. way. Absolutely. But, but it's required. And, and, but I think you made the good point before, which is a lot of these are digital now and they have to be, um, even if, if, if the, the mechanics and, and even that is becoming, um, you know, space age computer stuff that is, is beyond, I was having challenges with my Jeep and I was talking about just setting the idle. And the guy looked at me and says, that, that's what happened in 1972. You know, we're, we're far more sophisticated today, but so are your customers. And so we're busy with time. We're being spoiled by convenience. But what today is seeming like being spoiled uh, in the future is just going to be Monday, right? Uh, even even as we have these conversations, it's so easy to have conversations on FaceTime or Zoom, uh, right? It's mm-hmm. for, for my parents' generation, it's science fiction. For us, it's Thursday. How How difficult is it for somebody to go live from the shop and say, here's what we're seeing and show somebody on their phone. We do that with our grandkids or our kids or our teachers. We can certainly do it with our shop. So it just requires taking a step back. It just requires um, looking at it different and asking the question, could that be done uh, more simplistically, more yeah. uh, with, you know, with more visibility, like I said. Well, yeah, and I think automation is the way. I mean, automation, it, it does. It takes time to set automation up and get through the processes, but it saves so much time in the long run, uh, being able to have all those processes automated and then all your yeah, people, but, but all there's your people a balance. do just, yeah. Right, but the, but the balance is automation, automation works for, for basic processes, but information has to be customized, right? If you're sending out billing, that can be automated. But if you're sending out marketing, you don't want to do mass because how many how many emails a day, Chris, do you ignore? Ninety percent more. Yeah. We don't want to be ignored either. So there's there's systems and process to make things efficient, but don't um, don't relinquish the personalization because people will know. We know when we get form letters um, that junk mail has turned into spam, and we don't want to be seen as spammers. So process is really important systems that make sure that we do it the same way every time, that everybody gets the same level of, of communication and transparency. But don't think that we've just, you know, we've outsourced all that so we don't have to do that anymore. We still have to talk to our customers. We still have to communicate. They still have to, to, to believe that they're top of mind, right? And that all of our staff is working on their, you know, vehicle at any one time. And so um, there is a balance that has to be struck. Right on. And then something you'd mentioned a little bit earlier um, that I want to dive into a little bit is just this concept of borrowing from outside of your industry. You know, we talked, you talked about like, you know, pulling things from maybe like your son's school information where you were able to follow that process or like, you know, learning to pull things from Amazon with price transparency, whatever it may be. Like what can shop owners learn by studying people and businesses and other industries and learn to pull some of that stuff over in order to, to provide a better customer experience? Sure. That's a great question. I think, I think that's exactly the right question is how do we pull from others? And, and the way you do that is you, you mine your life for those nuggets. You, you, you think about yourself and for, for your listeners as well. What are some of your favorite businesses? Who do you love to do business with? Some of them just because you love the taste of their food or the fit of their clothes. But who are those retailers? Who are those businesses? It might even be B2B that you love doing business with. And then ask the question, what is it that I really love about them? You know, I mean, we some very common things of why we love Amazon. Now, we can lament, once again, the loss of certain retailers. It's only because Amazon does it better. And they're not big and evil. They're awesome. And they're at my front door virtually every day. But we also have a Whole Foods near our house that's owned by Amazon. And so I get all my groceries delivered for free. It's awesome. Um, And it's not that I'm spoiled. I just take advantage of resources that are available. It costs no more, right? I still stop at the grocery store for things. But but the answer to your question is think about the customers, the, the companies, the retailers, the vendors, and others that you love to work with 
and then ask a real question, not a rhetorical one. Why? What do we love about them? Grab a piece of paper and a pen and write it down. What is it that they do that we really like? Because there is no shortage of great companies. Um, it, it, it used to be that, that uh, you know, it's, it's who had the loudest voice, who had the best marketing. And the reality today is everybody who survives is good. I mean, everybody's good. Your competitors are in business for one reason, because they're good. Your competitors, um, people go and shop from your competitors and buy from your competitors for one reason, because they want to, because they're good. Because if you weren't good today, you would be outed on social media. You would be outed on on Yelp and TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes and Glassdoor. And there's a reason why everybody today is good or at least good enough. Um, but who are the best? Who do you choose and Why? And if we can adopt some of those practices, some of those conveniences, some of those things that make us smile, that save us time. Here's a great exercise, actually, Chris, is look at, at, at how you do business. If somebody wanted a particular service, go through and literally map out every single step that they go through, all the way from the time when they have a challenge and they're looking for a vendor, they're looking for a resource and how they find you and then what do they do and how do they schedule. Go through every single point. And maybe you map it out. Maybe it's 14, 15 steps totally all the way through to the end. What if you could cut that in half? Would that give you a competitive advantage? And we got to get over this fact that, listen, the way we do it is the way it's done, the way it should be done. Well, somebody's going to do it better or find a way to do it faster or cut, and then they're going to have a competitive advantage. I think we should just do that ourselves instead of waiting for somebody else to do it. We're trying to catch up. So here's the exercise. Take a couple of your best people, you included. Go into a room, order Chinese food, close the door, and don't leave that room until you've cut that process in half or cut a big chunk of it off or help those who don't need to do every one of those steps bypass the parts that they don't need to do, right? We hear that when we call on the phone, right? Um, please listen closely as our menu options have changed. And then you got to listen through everything. And you know your, your step wasn't even until seven or, or you didn't need any of those things. You just wanted to talk to an operator, right? How easy would it be if we just said, if you want to skip all of this, just click zero and speak to an operator, right? But most companies don't want to do that. They want you to go through the steps because they don't want their operator to have to take calls. God forbid you should be inconvenienced because your customers actually want to talk to somebody. But if there's a way for them to skip the parts that they don't want and get right to what they want faster, and sometimes it's through a real person, that creates competitive advantage. So I, I think the process is, is looking at other companies and what they do well. That's how everybody, everybody's begging, borrowing, and stealing um, and getting the best ideas from other industries. And so I, I think it's going to, I think this is the new way of doing business. I think the amount of time between innovations is getting shorter and shorter. And for customers, for consumers, for patients, for um, uh for 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 customers of consulting companies or whatever that might be, as customers, we win every time something is done better. And so we've just got to stay creative and aggressive. Yeah, you, you said a lot there. And I, I love all of what you said. And what, some of the stuff you talk about with bypassing the processes and walking through that, you know, the whole journey there of figuring out what services you like, what works, what doesn't, and then trimming that down. Uh, it, it makes me think about when uh, when when you're dealing with a like a, a service station. We deal with a shop, and one of the things that I know that uh, I know a lot of people deal with this is the whole thing with codes on the car. You know, yeah. you'll see like the check engine light or the oil letters. There'll be some sort of code on the car, and you'll go to the shop, and the shop will they'll, they'll charge a diagnostic fee for that. Whereas if I go to O'Reilly's or if I go to advanced auto parts, they'll do that for free. So now I've got to do two stops. I've got to go there and then I've got to figure out which shop will accept these codes from somebody else. Whereas a shop, I feel like a shop could totally figure out a way much like the grocery stores or much like Amazon where you can monetize it on the back end as opposed to on the front end um, where you can say, okay, yeah, we'll read your codes for free given X, Y, and Z, given you allow us the opportunity to do the repair or whatever, instead of monetizing every little thing, figuring out how can I do something 
to get you in the door that's ultra convenient because you want those codes. You want to know what's wrong with your car right now. And sure. you don't want to have to make two stops. You don't want to have to go to O'Reilly's well, part, or advance and then come back. Yeah. Part of, part of this is a frustration of just, listen, I don't begrudge anybody making money. We're, we're all trying to feed our families. So I get this, but you know, even in my industry, cause I speak for a living, they used to say, well, I'll do the keynote for this price. And if you want to do a breakout session in the afternoon, um, I'll do it for this much more or 50% more to do it. And then there'll be speakers saying, listen, it's it's all a flat fee. I'll, th- I'll throw in the extra thing. And now everybody's scrambling to train. To- you get this all the time. If you go to uh, from one doctor to another, they want to redo all the labs. They want to redo all the x-rays because that's a, a profit center for them. Um, I think it just means we have to be nimble. Um, it, it means that we can, we can, um, we can, I'm trying to, I was going to use the word disguise, but it's the wrong word. I think we can roll up costs into other things, into, into uh, more of a, a comprehensive or a blanket fee, which includes the diagnostic, includes this and this and this and this. I know people like to see a breakdown, but if we used to be able to charge for reading codes and others are doing it for free, then everything else just has to be reflected in everything else that we do. Then maybe there's just a, a diagnostic fee that's based on ours. I mean, it's, it's, it's all how we communicate it. At the end of the day, we still need to make what we need to make. And shop owners know that. Customers know that. Um, they're always going to find a way to look for the best price. And the shops who say, listen, if all they care about is price, then we don't really want them. Well, and that's dismissive. I've heard that before. Nobody just cares about price. They only care about price if they assume that your quality is equal to the quality of somebody else, right? It's, it's what I call the four most dangerous words in business. The four most dangerous words in business are all things being equal. All things being equal, everybody's good. All right, who can do it cheaper? Everybody's good. All things are equal. Who can do it faster? We can't every, let everything be equal in the minds of our, of our prospects. If we offer a better service, um, a more uh, transparent diagnostic process, if we have a better waiting room, if we have a better online experience and all of those, then all things aren't equal. As I told you about the the shop where I get my my Jeep serviced, everything is just top notch. It doesn't mean that everything is super expensive. It just means I never have to wonder. They have great systems and processes that keep me informed when the diagnostic work is being done on the front end. They're taking video and pictures to show me what they did so they can communicate. At that point, everything is an equal. I'm, of course, I want the best price. Everybody cares about the best price, but these guys are specialists. And so I will gravitate towards them. So when you talk about charging for codes, you just find different ways of pricing it. At the end of the day, we know what we need to make to, to pay for our, our kids' college and to pay for our team and pay for our technology and our rent. Um, if somebody else is playing shenanigans and we're doing this part for free, you know they're not foregoing the revenue. They're just build, they're just rolling it into something else that they do. We just all have to be uh, we all have to be creative and continually evolving in how we we communicate our pricing strategy. All right. Now that's a great answer, which kind of brings me to the next thing, which is, you know, we live in an age where people are just tech savvy. They get it. They, they know how to price compare. They can find things online. You know, like how does it, how do you, how do you as a shop owner work with that and not spend time? Like, cause you don't want to debate your customers. The customer says, well, you know, I was online and said that this price is this part was this much and you're charging me that much. Like, like at what point do you just say, okay, look, you know, I've got to figure out how to work with the customer and the internet at the same time, as opposed to wrestling against that. Right. Well, I, I think we've learned a lot. We talked about how do we learn from other industries? I think we learned a lot about this from the construction industry because there were during the big bust 20 years ago, there was a lot of shenanigans of, of companies intentionally, um, construction companies and others underbidding things just to get the get the gig, keep their people busy, and then they figured they'd just make it up later on and change orders, right? At the end of the day, this is what it costs. And I think from a language perspective, when granted, as you said, we're more tech savvy, it doesn't mean that we're better informed. It's just we're we're informed, 
right? Just because somebody can search online doesn't mean they're searching accurate information. And I think as shop owners and shops in general can play that role in helping to educate of, of driving that conversation instead of just responding to it. So when somebody comes in and says, listen, I've done research online, these guys do blank and these guys say, listen, we're all working with the same realities of what it costs to repair vehicles. We're all working with the same realities of what it costs to compensate talented people within our organizations. People will mix the numbers up in different ways. If they're, if they're going to give you this for free, I guarantee you they're charging more for this. If they can do it, if they're saying they're going to do this entire repair for this, it just means they don't understand what it entails and you're going to have more problems than you think. We know this is what we do. I love that. It's a great phrase as well. This is what we do. This is what it costs to get it done and for us to be able to compensate our people. If somebody else is doing it for significantly less, something is not happening that should be happening. Somebody's not getting paid. Something's not being diagnosed correctly. Some part is is being purchased at a discount and it may not be the quality that you need. We can play a role to help educate people. It's not that some are more greedy than others. I think if we really present ourselves, this is what it costs to do this. And if somebody else is playing with the numbers, there's something that they don't get or there's something they're hoping you don't get right in the process. And that alone, I think, will give people pause. And I've been coaching this for a lot of years from the marketing or the customer experience perspective, is that it's that sort of we're worth waiting for. Or, but what I don't like is the dismissive phrase that says, you know, you get what you pay for, um, because there is an assumption on the part of, of consumers that everybody else can do the same thing. And so why would I pay more for you? <clears throat> it's incumbent upon us to help educate them. Everybody isn't the same. And if somebody is charging significantly less, that means there's something that you need that they're not doing because we know what it costs. And they can't pay their rent if they're charging this. So you're either getting substandard parts, you're getting substandard um, technical expertise. There's a part of this that's really important that they're not going to do because they cannot fix what you need at that cost. And some people will believe it and some won't, right? But the ones yeah. that do, you're, you're much likely, less likely to have hassle um, back and forth, but there's always going to be people who are looking for the low price leader, and that's fine. You, you, it's a legitimate business model. I ask audiences all the time, who in this audience aspires to be the low price leader in your category? And there'll be one or two hands. I'll say, listen, it's a legitimate model, but you got to make it up in volume, right? I don't like to play that game, right? I, I like to be the one saying, this is what I do, and I'm really good at it. And I think um, I think there's enough work for everybody, especially with the shops as well, to uh, to drive that conversation. Yeah, and I, and I like the way you walk through that conversation, just educating the customer, helping them to understand. Because I feel like just even on a on a baseline customer service, not not with shops, but just in general, just on a baseline customer service that that can that can be missing sometimes. I mean, it takes time to sit down with a client or a customer and walk them through. But I think sometimes at the end of the day, the value in that is that. You you might you might sway somebody. You may you may turn their their opinion of you because they they may come in with one, you know, one thought about you, and then by the time you sat down and walked them through and educated them on their vehicle, but at the, at that point now maybe they think okay this is where I need to be. I, you've converted well, a customer well, by you, having good customer service by talking. Agreed. Well, and the good education. And Chris, think about what is the lifetime value of a customer. We too often step over dollars to pick up dimes. Um, because you know we're, we so want to be right in some minor issue. Well, it could be worth thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for this family and their friends over the lifetime. Um, but sometimes we get in fights because we know we're right, and sometimes you are right. But the question is, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Do you want to be right or do you want to be profitable? And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't sometimes fire customers. Of course, we should. I do, right? But when we really have the bigger picture in mind, because because the world has changed and people are armed now, you know, if somebody's unhappy, the vehicles and the venues they have to uh, communicate that displeasure are astonishing today. We, we grew up in a, in a time, we used to call this guest relations philosophy. Guest relations philosophy used to say, and everybody's heard this before, 
the uh, the average person with a positive experience will tell two or three people, but somebody with a negative experience will tell 10 people, right? We used to be afraid of that. None of that is true anymore. Today, we tell thousands of people. If we're unhappy, we'll tell millions of people. And we see it. We see it online. We see somebody being dragged off an airplane, you know, who paid for their seat because they didn't want to give up their seat. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it's spreading and it costs them tens of millions of dollars when they could have paid them a thousand bucks and, and made it okay. Um, today we have to, uh, we have to recognize the bigger picture. Unhappy customers have a lot of ways to, to complain and really happy customers. Like you said, when we explain it well, when they figure, when they, when they feel like they had a better experience, that they walk out more knowledgeable than they ever did, that we help them avoid getting ripped off. They're going to potentially tell a lot of people as well. And that drives business. The world is different and the ramifications for underperformance are profound. The opportunities for exemplary service are off the charts. Absolutely. No, and, and you raise a good point. It's so easy now for consumers to 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 go online and either say positive things or negative. And, and more, more, most likely, I mean, you have a good crop of people who revel in that almost, it seems, where they're just like, okay, right. I had a bad experience. I want everybody to know I had a bad experience. Oh, oh, they're and, they're and, gonna and, they're gonna make you pay. Right. Yeah. Sons yeah. Of, and sons of bitches. We're going we're to, gonna, they freaking think that I'm going to, they have no idea who they're dealing with. Uh, right. But, but on the other end, we look online, right? We want to avoid making a bad decision. We go and look on, on Yelp before we go to a restaurant. We go to Rotten Tomatoes before the, we go to a movie. It doesn't mean it's always going to make the decision for us, but don't pretend for a minute that it doesn't influence that. And so should online reviews be a primary driver for what you do? The answer is yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, because bad reviews or a slew of mediocre reviews can kill a business today. It used to be what we said was really important. Now, what's even more important, more important and primary driver of, of customer traffic is what other people say about us. And that has to be front and center with everything we do and how we run our business. Absolutely. And, you know, something, something uh, I was talking to a shop owner uh, last week and we were talking about just kind of this new model of customer care. And he said what he does to do his you know reputation management online is he makes sure it doesn't get there. And he said the way he makes sure yeah. it doesn't get there more often than not is when he gives them the invoice, he tells them he's you know, happy to have a review. If you're unhappy, call me directly and he gives him his, his direct cell phone and his direct email so they can hash it out on a phone call or on an email before yeah. they hop online and start talking. And he says it's been so effective just letting well, them we, vent to him first. Yeah. We hear from a lot of different industries. Um, when I go drop off my car at, at enterprise rental car, they always say, welcome back, Mr. Averin. How is the Camry or whatever it is? It was fine. Thanks. Did you have a chance to fill it up? No, just go ahead and charge me. And then they'll say, is there, they hand me the receipt and they say, is there anything we could have done? to have made this a more outstanding experience, right? And what they're really saying is, please, God, don't go on TripAdvisor and trash us. <laughs> Let me fix it now. I saw it in the middle of a, a, a table at a restaurant. There was a little sign that said, if anything isn't right, please don't tell Yelp. Tell us. We will make it right, right? There's a little loose sight thing on the counter in when I'm at Embassy Suites Hotels. If there's anything you need, if there's anything that's not right, please right? It's why companies over-survey, and we know it's a pain in the ass, but those who will send us surveys right away, and then three days later, you get an email, sorry, you didn't see our survey, please fill out our survey. What they're, what they're trying to do, um, everybody thinks that they're just trying to look for positive things so they have better reviews. That's part of it. But the primary reason is they're trying to identify somebody who might have been frustrated or unhappy for any reason so they can immediately try and head it off before it turns into a review. They have automatic things. If it's a scale of one to five, anything below a four gets automatically um, forwarded to somebody on their team to follow up. It is a brave new world. And right now, there is no truth detector online, right? There is no truth detector in Yelp. I saw something in the paper the other day. It said, or paper, <laughs> online, I'm not reading newspaper, um, online news, and it said, um, that upwards of 30% of Yelp reviews are fake. Does that surprise anybody? 
right? No. Right. So what are we doing to, uh, to help influence all of that? Wow. Like you said, it is, it's a, it's a new world. It is definitely a new world. And I think for, you know, you have to, you have to be cognizant of your online reputation. And I think like, you know, it starts off with just the face to face interactions, just having a very good and positive experience with customers to the best of your ability. Yeah. It's just being really intentional. It's just making this part yeah. of your conversation when you're having staff meetings at the shop and others, we know that what we have to ask, you know, our customers, we know what we do in going over the checklist. We know what we need to do at the register but have a broader conversation, which is why are people choosing us? Why, I mean, it's what drove my book, Why Customers Leave. We're in seven languages now because that whole idea of why customers leave and, and how, to, how to bring them back um, is, is a primary revenue driver today. We, we have to, um, for lack of a better word, we have to do everything we can to not piss off our customers. Doesn't mean they're always right, but uh, this is our livelihood and we're, we, got, we have a lot of people to feed with successful yeah. businesses. So how, so how does a shop go from being product centric to customer centric, you know, like going from focusing on, okay, we got to get this repair. We got to put this on. We got to get these parts, like really just focusing yeah. on putting, putting this repair order in front of a customer and saying, Hey, look, we noticed this, 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 that, and the third, and which can be an overwhelming thing for a customer. And, and so going from being very product focused and, and, that and driven in that direction to be more customer centric. Sure. Like you talked about well, first before. of all, don't take your, don't take your eye off the ball. I mean, we have to be really good at what we do. Um, I mean that for, for people think I, I hear custom, uh, businesses all the time say, you know, at the end of the day, it's about quality. And I don't agree at all. I think at the beginning of the day, it's about quality. You better be good at what you do. Quality is incredibly important, but at the end of the day, it's about um, competitive advantage. What do you do better than others who do it well? So to get back to your question, when you talk about the difference between product-centric and customer-centric, and that's the key today. Product-centric is how we've done business for the last thousand years. Product-centric, and there's nothing wrong with this, it says we are really good at what we do. We, we, we are experts in this. We have worked really hard to be great at it. We know everything about it. We sell it to as many people as we can, and that creates market share. There is nothing wrong with that. That's how business is done. But here's where the opportunity is, is we're seeing companies go from product-centric to customer-centric. And to be clear, customer-centric doesn't mean customer-focused. We're all customer-focused, right? So for us, it's about the customer. Well, every, it is for everybody, right? Customer-centric is different. Product-centric is we're really good at what we do and we sell it. Customer-centric says we're really good at what we do. That's a given. Um, we spend a lot of time on that, but we spend a lot more time than our competitors do in understanding our customers. What's different? What's changed in their life? What, would they, what do they wish we would do that we don't currently do? Um, what do they dislike about our industry? What do they need to choose us? What do they fear in terms of, of underperformance or overpayment? Uh, really understanding your customers on a, on a deeper, deeper level. What's different about not just what would they would buy, but how do we make their life easier? Product-centric asks the question, how much stuff can we sell them? But customer-centric asks the question, how many ways can we enhance their life, right? Can we get them what they need faster? Can we get them in and out faster? Can we make them more informed than others? Can we do work such that they recognize how much money this is going to save them in the long term so they can continue to drive their vehicle and support their family and get their kids safely to school? That's customer-centric. It's really understanding your customers on a deeper level and looking for ways to, to make their life easier and better in addition to doing great work. Yes. Yeah. And so on, on the kind of the theme of the podcast here, what's the most convenient and easy and fast way to get that information from your customer? Cause you know, people, you know, it's 2022. I, I have a, just a complete disdain for web forms. Don't, don't show me a yep. web form. I, I give do me something well. very, give, give me something yeah. very easy to do. You can, you can text me a poll. I don't care, but what's the, what's the easiest and most convenient way to, to get that data from your customer? The easiest way is, is to do it at, at the point of purchase. Honestly, get them while you have them there. But but I also believe in incentivizing it. There's a great line that says the behavior that's recognized and rewarded is the behavior that's repeated. Um, we know that with our kids, right? If they whine for a toy and you throw them a toy, they're going to whine every time. But it's also good on the positive side. If you have that iPad or something at checkout that says, 
if you would do us a favor and just, we have a very brief, it's got to be brief, five question. If you'll just do this really quickly, we'll give you 10% off. We'll give you a free oil change next time. doesn't mean giving away the store. Um, it's the same thing about incentivizing referrals, right? If you can think of one person um, who maybe is new in your neighborhood, if you do this, we'll give you, you know, a free oil change next time. Um, sometimes you'll see this when you check out of a grocery store or something and they'll circle the thing on the receipt and saying, if you'll do the survey, you can win a chance to win. <clears throat> I think it's a terrible strategy. I think anytime you do something and there's a chance to win something, that means one person wins it, everybody else doesn't. Terrible response. You don't get really good response. But if everybody who does something gets something, um, even if it's just a punch card, if it's a something. So I think to answer your question, we do need to get information. The best time to do it is while they're right there. Um, and uh, I, I've seen others who just have a little iPad or they do square, you know, for payment and they just rotate everything around. If you'll do this quick three second, this thing will take you 15 seconds. If you answer these three questions, you'll get blank. Uh, it's also easier to get people on your mailing list and all of those things as well. But we do need to get information, but I'm also a big believer and I have this in my book, Why Customers Leave is surveys are important, but only ask once. You know, when somebody says, oh, you must not have seen it three days later, right? No, I did see it. I just didn't want to do it. And by the third time they're asking you to fill out their survey, um, you might have had a fine experience. Well, now you have a bad experience because they over-surveyed, which is a whole other issue. So anyway, short answer, get it at the point of purchase, make it short, make it easy and incentivize it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny that you say that, you know, offer them, you know, percentage office. I think when I think back to like voting or getting vaccinated or whatever the case may be, but like the barrier to entry there was just a sticker. Like people are easy nowadays. If you yeah. give them, if, if you just give them something like something fun or tangible, some some sort of social proof, people will do stuff for you really, really well, think quickly. about when we were kids and our parents would bribe <laughs> us. To, we had to get our shot or or something at the doctor's office and we just wanted a sticker. Yeah, you know, sticker, or a plastic, lollipop, plastic dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, right. It's Just easy. Have a treasure chest on the counter <laughs> and give people plastic dinosaurs. You know, it would work for me, but I'm older than oh, you. Oh, absolutely. And so, and so, with that, when you're polling your customers and your customers are getting back to you and they're they're telling you what they want, um, how should this influence like you know, either either service decisions or even staffing decisions? If they say, "Hey, we want this particular level of service or this type of service." but we don't quite offer it to the level that customers want it, but a lot of customers do want it. Like, like do the polls influence me as a, if I'm a shop owner, do they, do they influence my, my staffing decisions? Or do they influence my service decisions? Like what, what are your thoughts Great on that? Great question. Great question. No, what they have to influence is your conversation. You decide. This is your business. You understand a good business, but you have to know what they're thinking, what they want, what they desire, what they're complaining about so that you can make informed decisions. It doesn't mean that they get everything they want, um, but you have to be informed enough to at least have those conversations. So I think what it needs to influence is the conversations. We know what it costs to staff, um, but we can also look at alternatives, right? If they can't do this or this doesn't make sense, well, what can we do? Right. If it's, if it's, a, if it's a constant source of complaint and that's where we, we have ongoing conversations. I have a, a series called the customer experience advantage morning huddle. And the morning huddle is a weekly video that small businesses and others, it's just every week. It's a different question. It's not motivational. It says, how often do you do this? How often are you aware of this? Or do you listen to this? And the whole idea is that it just starts conversations. I trust business owners to make good decisions if they have good information. Uh, nobody's trying to be difficult. Nobody's trying to be rigid or to piss off customers. But I think we need more information. And at the end of the day, um, I trust business owners to make the decisions that are right for their business. The challenge is they don't always have the right information or really understand what their customers are thinking and feeling. And if you believe that your customers are the same that they were five years ago, think how different your life is, right? And once again, those who are having the conversations, who are asking the questions, who are considering alternatives are the ones that are future-proofing their business. Ooh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> Very good. So, David, tell us, tell us a little about your book uh, and where we can find it. 
Because I sure. think you know, I think you well, have, you know, you have a treasure trove of information that kind of correlates with all this stuff within those within those covers, and I'd love to be able to turn people onto that. You mean, do I have lots to say about promoting my own products? Sure, <laughs> Chris. Thanks for that opportunity. You know, if people want to learn more about me, they can just look me up at David Avrin, A V R I N, DavidAvrin.com. I speak and I consult. My new book is actually based on my video series. It's called The Morning Huddle. Powerful customer experience conversations to wake you up and shake you up and win more business. And it's about having those conversations. I think we can all get better. Once again, I trust businesses and business leaders to make the right decisions, but we have to have the right conversations and your people have to be involved in those conversations because they're the ones talking to your customers every day. They're the ones hearing about what they, what they would love, what's frustrating them, uh, what's working, the, the times that we're saying no, that we don't realize we're saying no. And so I'm all about spurring and sparking great conversations. And so uh, you can learn more about that video initiative. It's super, it's ridiculously cheap at morninghuddlemembership.com. You can learn about sort of this weekly message that I send out to, to, uh, to all my clients and we're in a few different languages as well. But Right now, I'm just thrilled that the uh, by and large the pandemic's over, and that I'm back to traveling. Uh, I've been in 24 countries around the world helping organizations simplify process, get over their own um, uh, ultra confidence, and and better serve their customers. Awesome. So, uh, where are you heading to next? Where am I heading to next? I'm heading to. Vegas and then DC and then Orlando. And I'm excited about international coming back, probably not till the fall. Uh, nobody wants to get stuck outside the, the, the country. And I, and I know that these podcasts are kind of evergreen, but uh, I'm really fortunate. I'm really blessed to do what I do. My, my mom died at 69 and never owned a passport. I, most Americans still don't own a passport. And I'm just really lucky that I get to travel and teach and eat and I just eat a lot wherever I go. <laughs> Isn't always, always the best. My wife's like, well, just don't eat all that. I'm like, um, you married a man, you know, come on. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, David, thanks for stopping by and, uh, and entertaining our, uh, our audience today and giving us a, just a great education on customer relations service and how to be more customer centric. That's it. Thank you, friend. I appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another edition of Ratchet and Wrench Radio. Go make the rest of your day the best of your day, and we'll see you back here next week. Until then.